beloved listeners, and welcome to Sneak People at the Movies, film criticism by people who actually like film. Join us as we dive into movies we love, movies we respect, and movies we wish we could unsee. It's a podcast where we talk about growing up and living queer, nerdy, and depressed online and at the cinema. From the kids who don't have to rely on bikes for their main board of transport anymore, it's Sneeple at the Movies. I'm Maddie. I'm Helena. Uh, and I'm Leia. Um, no Ezra today. No Ezra. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. No Ezra today. They're not feeling good still, so... Uh, but we have another wonderful guest host with us, friend of the show, Leia, who has been on more than once, but it's been a minute, right? It has been a minute. I think the last time I was on was uh, in the the middle of the supernatural craze. Oh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> we were talking needle drops. Yeah. So it's been probably close to a year. So. Yes, that sounds correct. Yeah. This is my fourth episode with y'all. Yeah. One of our favorite guest hosts that we have on all the time. And we refuse to have Chris on, even though he's also a podcaster. We're like, no, we're going to bring on Leia again. No, Thank I want to bring on Chris. I want to talk about how Robocop is Jesus. I do want to bring on Chris pretty bad. So we should have Chris come on for our next guest host. <laughs> uh, he would love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, we are doing more Halloween-esque stuff. Uh, we took a brief break for star wars yeah. even though it's october yeah um but we're going back with uh kids on bikes which is a genre that leia knows a ton about and is very passionate about and i'm really excited to finally do this episode mm-hmm. um but before we get too deep into that though uh let's do what we sneep i don't i have not seen a ton i've been even busier than usual which is you would have thought would be impossible but no um but leia and i rewatched, or i rewatched. this was the first time for leia watched the original evil dead which is still so good. <laughs> I love Evil Dead. I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, it's it's so fun and weird. And like, when you watch it, it's really easy to see like, yeah, this was one of the first of its genre. And so much took from this. Um, and I forgot that it's like kind of a student project where they had like not a ton of money. And it was a bunch of college friends who were like, fuck it, let's go make a movie about it. And then it like kicked off multiple <laughs> careers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is, which is dope. Um, Bruce Campbell, my beloved. Uh, and then I watched kind of on accident Murder, She Wrote, South by Southwest, which is a TV movie because my roommate and I were like, let's watch Murder, She Wrote. And then I clicked on the wrong thing. But it was fun, you know. Uh, I love Murder, She Wrote in all its forms, so I wasn't that mad about it. Um, I also rewatched Super 8, which I have not seen since it came out in theaters. That was both topical and fun to revisit. Uh, I'm sure we will talk about it again later. I watched uh, some of the Murder, She Wrote show. I got all cut up on Andor today. God, that show is still so <laughs> fucking good. Um, and then I watched uh, The Midnight Club, which is Mike Flanagan's new show. I I really liked it, actually. Um, I'm excited to go back and finish watching and fully watch some of his other stuff. Uh, I watched it with friend of the show, Ben, and our other friend, Andrew, and Ben was like, yeah, I would say, like, it is my least favorite of the Mike Flanagan stuff, but that still links it at, like, a solid B+. And I'm like, yeah, that's fair. I cried, uh, in the last four episodes. Like, each episode, I just was crying. So, you know, he fucking got me again. Thank you, Mike. Um, that's what I've seen. That's me. Um, yeah, I'm also one watching Andor, and I'm all cut up on Andor as of tonight. Um, 
screams. Um, <laughs> I rewatched and dies. <laughs> screams yeah. and dies and falls off in off the beach. Um, into hell. Into hell. Uh, I rewatched Tucker and Dale versus Evil re- because I came home and my my roommates were watching it, and then they went to bed, and I stayed up and, and finished it. Um, ain't that just the way? So I did that. That was pretty fun. Uh, I like to see Alan Tudyk. Um, I always and forever, always and forever. This is kind of fun, actually. So <laughs> I also rewatched Ginger Snaps the other night because it was on Tubi, um, you know, which I love a very dear movie dear to my heart. And yeah, our friend Ginger Snaps, our very best friend Ginger Snaps. And I was realizing the guy who's the murderer in Tucker and Dale versus Evil is the guy who plays the um sort of like fuckboy, like awful dude who's like chasing after wow, Ginger in Ginger Snaps. And I he's like much mm-hmm. younger. Go figure, because Canadian actors there and everything. Um, <laughs> there's only so many of them. There's yeah. only so many of them. I'm only surprised that like Emily Perkins like isn't in J- Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Like I <laughs> that's pretty shocking that she's not, but mm-hmm. well, Emily Perkins is in pretty much any everything. Pretty much everything. Um, like she's, she's in an X Files episode. She's in the 1990 version of It, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about. Really? She's in yeah, yeah. She plays she's Bev. Supernatural. She's in Supernatural. She's been in She's the Man. And Canada. so is who's the other actress in Ginger Snaps? I forget her name. Um, uh, Catherine Isabel. I'm yeah, sure. and she's also in Super. Also in Supernatural and other sundry things. Um, she should also be in Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Um, but alas, neither of them are, which I think it would make uh, like a, just a slightly better movie if they, if they both were. Um, but I also rewatched Scooby-Doo and the Witch's oh, Ghost, um, which, you know, Maddie talked about in the last episode, mm-hmm. it's a classic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Tim yeah. Curry is there. Um, he's there. He's, he's there. Imagine that you're like at a museum and you're trying to solve a mystery <laughs> at a museum that you've been paid to solve, and Stephen King shows up and helps you solve the mystery. And, and he's hits like, on you. And the which hits is on crazy. you. And he's like, hey, do you want to come on a road trip with me to my hometown where they're having a harvest festival? And then he's like, oh, my ancestor <laughs> is a witch, by the way. And um, and things only get weirder from there. Imagine that. Yeah. That's the plot of Scooby-Doo, which is ghost in case yeah. you didn't know. And it's a classic. And it's so. a classic. So, you know. Uh, I rewatched The Bride of Frankenstein, which goes harder than any other movie in existence. Um, mm-hmm. I Well, mm-hmm. except for another movie that I rewatched, which is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, and it's, which has been a Fuck, few I've years. Fuck, I've got to see that again. Oh, please do. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Leia and I, I think we're talking about when we saw Evil Dead, we were like, we should also rewatch Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> It would be an amazing That's two movies feature. that go together, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while, and I, like, I mean, obviously, like, I know this movie very well, and I've seen it many, mm-hmm. many times, but I, you kind of forget, like, how truly, how truly amazing Tim Curry is sometimes, and then you watch it, and you're just like, mm-hmm. fucking hell. Um, yeah. He is just putting everything into it. He's so hot. He's so incredible. Um Yeah. All the little jokes that just, like, went over my head, even when I was, like, a college student, were suddenly making sense. Um, mm-hmm. So much fun. Um, and, like, Susan Strandon, my beloved, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, speaking of Stephen King, I rewatched Misery, <laughs> which is about <laughs> uh, Stan culture, though he didn't know it. 
Um, he didn't know it, but it's it was a little bit too. But not like this. But not yeah. like this. Um, it is kind of like this, though. Um, yeah. It's just a shade of what we want to see. I enjoy that movie very much. It's very stressful. Um, yeah. Very strange. Like, like weirdly funny. Um, yeah. And then, like... There's, there's scenes that I actually had to close my eyes during, even though I've seen it before, because uh, I mm-hmm. there's only there are certain things that I can handle that are like really extreme, and then there's like certain things that just like I can't handle watching somebody get their like legs broken with a hammer. Like I just can't, I can't do it. Yeah, there's something about that. I <sighs> I agree with you. I have not seen uh, Misery yet, but I know the premise just because it's one of those things that comes up a lot in horror media. Yeah, and I feel that way. There's something about like bones being broken that is just slightly too close to home. Yeah, right. Where I'm like, am I ever gonna lose my eyes in my life? Eh, probably not. Am I, is it possible that I could get my legs broken? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the idea of someone doing that to me on purpose is like, oh, I don't like that. No. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, I don't like it. It is so realistic. They The, the special yeah. effects are so, that they use like on his legs are so believable. And Ooh. he's also like, James Caan is also putting everything into it. It's just like sweating yeah. up a storm and uh, <laughs> screaming and crying and cringing. You're like, oh, God. Oh, love rip. movies where people are just sweating. Just love sweat. Love a good sweaty movie. Uh, <laughs> we love a good which, sweaty movie. It's true. <laughs> speaking of which, I watched The Descent. Uh, people do sweat <laughs> in that movie. They also do other things mm. uh, in that movie as well. This mm-hmm. is the this is the uh, uh, girls' club <laughs> splunking movie in which everybody dies and there are horrible creatures cool. living in the darkness. It's very gory. It's very fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, the premise is very simple, but it goes really hard once and like commits to that once it gets there. Um, I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it yet. Um, I also watched Prince of Darkness on on the Criterion channel, which is a John Carpenter movie from 87. I love it. I can't stop thinking about it. I'm obsessed. It's so good. Oh, yeah, I do need to see that soon. Oh, please do. It's so good. I highly recommend it to everyone. Um, yeah, I just don't know what to say. It's just, it just, it's incredible. Oh, um, sorry, my friend Donald Pleasance. Yeah, our best friend Donald Pleasance, who kills it. <laughs> Your friend and mine, and <laughs> also John Carpenter's friend, because he's put him in multiple movies. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, and some, like, crazy special effects. Like, so, so I mean, yes. obviously it's John Carpenter, but, like, yeah, like, effects where I was like, how did you do that? It's so cool. And, like, I was... Also, weirdly, not weirdly, I was really moved by the ending of it, too, in a way that I wasn't expecting oh. to. Like, it has some really killer, like, shots. It was, like, really bittersweet and sad at the end. So, yeah. Uh, oh, I love that shit. Yeah, very, very good. I love when horror makes you feel something beyond yeah. just, like, ah, uh, cool gore. Yeah, exactly. I do like the, ah, uh, cool gore, but I, I do like the absolutely dollop of... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of yeah. which, also saw Godzilla... The original, the one and the only. <laughs> Godzilla, which always makes me feel something. Yeah. Godzilla. It, no, I mean, it does. It was really moving, um, especially at the end. I was like, oh, that's my best friend, Godzilla. Um, when he, when he showed up, the first infamous shot where he, like, peeks his little head over the hills, I was like, oh, yeah, that's my boy. There he is. <laughs> Yay. Um, it's Two so things funny. about Godzilla. Party. Yeah? Two things about Godzilla. Yeah. One... I always think of that little map where somebody took the original yes! Godzilla 
and put him next to the current buildings in Tokyo, and yeah. he's very tall. Like, I gotta help my boy, he's lost. Like, help him, he's lost. Like, <laughs> like he is only, like, three or four stories tall, right? Yeah, my my sweet boy, he's, he's like a child <laughs> lost in the mall. No, he's yeah, and it's please. Like, help him, he's lost. So that's what I always think about when I think yeah. about original Godzilla. The original Godzilla, totally. Oh, um, But also, I think about that post- who said this was it um was it del toro who was talking about like hey just take a minute to think about why uh culturally uh the u.s and japan might have different responses uh, to race yes. and mutation yeah. and what that means like whether that makes a superhero or a monster yeah. and i always just think that that's really interesting to think yeah. about yeah. that as a cultural divide you cannot stop thinking about it watching the the OG Godzilla. I mean, it's yeah. like I was gonna say. There's also the the clear difference between uh, like original the, the original Japanese Godzillas and the Western interpretations of Godzilla. Yeah, especially yeah, exactly. like the fact that they. Um, I guess the one that American audiences knew for a long time was the recut, like re-edited, dubbed version of the movie mm-hmm. where they put Raymond Burr in randomly is an american who's just like Wild. there and it's like hi you're like oh this is a terrible movie it's like yeah because you fucking took everything out of it and like the dubbing is obviously awful and they just ruined yeah. it but the original is like it's a it's, classic it's a classic and it's really moving and yeah. the political yeah i mean the political and cultural um like subtext to it it's not even really subtext it's just flatly text, text. they're just like yeah we believe this creature was created because of the H-bomb. And then they're, like, arguing yeah. about whether to announce that because they're that would, like, already strain the relations that they're building back up with, this, with the United States. And it's like, and yeah. people are like, no, th- but they did it. So we should say something, yeah. you know. So fuck them. So like, fuck they need them. to see what they've done. And, like, yeah. that gets all caught yeah. up in the debate of, like, whether or not to kill Godzilla or not. And, like, because most people are, like, obviously kill him. But the professor um, is, like, but he's, like one of a kind he, and we should yeah. be studying him for research and everything and so it's like ugh. and yeah. when he does die then it's like no my boy but yeah that's my sweet boy godzilla that's my sweet boy godzilla and also because the hot scientist with the eye patch also <laughs> sorry i'm spoiling it too because he gets murked <laughs> again too i um, mean that movie is is not recent <laughs> no <laughs> no it's not um sorry on, for guys. godzilla spoilers don't you know about the hot scientist with the eye patch come on get with the times already um <laughs> both of the male love interests in this movie are quite quite something they're quite attractive but he was mm-hmm. the more yeah godzilla one. from 1954 yeah guys <laughs> sorry that's your spoilers <laughs> sorry sorry anyway that's what i've seen uh watch prince of darkness and Hell yeah. Leia, have you seen anything recently you want to talk about? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I also watched The Evil Dead with Maddie, yeah. of course. And I deeply enjoyed it. I yes. love, uh, I love classic horror. Yeah. Um, I love weird special effects that are probably just milk. <laughs> uh, there was so much milk at the end of that movie. There was so much milk. There was milk everywhere. Oh, milk is really handy for, like, eye effects. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they were, like, throwing up milk <laughs> yeah. a lot. Because they're all, like, possessed by demons and shit at you the end. You know how it so. is when you're possessed by demons. You know how you it is when you're possessed by demons, yeah. 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 
and uh and bruce campbell is unbearably hot yeah i know yeah he's we love an emotion an emotionally connected man who also is losing his whole shit yeah he and just, is like, named ashley he tried so hard yeah he's like you know emotionally supportive to everyone yeah uh when like, his stupid you- shithead friend is being a dick to his sister after she just had like a horribly traumatic experience He's like, bitch, shut the fuck up. I'm going to get her out. Like, she's like, I can't stay here. And he's like, okay, no problem. Like, I'll get you to a hotel. That's okay. Even when everyone else is like, and I'm like, yeah, no, he's right. This is why you guys all fucking died. (laughs) Yeah. He's just a great character and a great foundation for that movie. And we were kind of talking about it when we watched it, that like, he hangs back more than you'd expect a horror pro tag to. Absolutely. a lot of the reason he survives uh, uh, the like first half of the movie is because he's too frozen to like get up in there. Yeah. Um, he's like not really the focal point of most of, I would say the first third to first half of that movie. A lot of the other characters are kind of like the, I don't want to say the point, but like they're taking up more of the screen time and he's just kind of in the background, like doing his thing. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of living his life. Yeah. There and is also, uh-oh. as you said, is frozen in fear because, like, everything's going to fucking shit. He's like, uh. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a video on the making of The Evil Dead that I want to send to you afterwards. That's yes, fun. please. I'd love to watch it. Yeah. I, uh, my version of The Evil Dead, the DVD I have, has a video commentary, I think, by Bruce Campbell. And there's another track with Sam Raimi and the guy who was the producer. And I am dying to go back and listen to both of those. I am yeah. I am fascinated by what they will have to say, presumably. Con- confession, never seen it. Yeah. And I really want to. I just, like, never, yes. have never gotten around to it. And I keep meaning to be, like, I really, yes. really want to watch it with you specifically. So I'm just like, yes. oh, I watch Evil Dead with Maddie. I was going to say, let me know. Any, I know we have, like, a bedillion things that we have on our watch list. Yeah. <laughs> but anytime, I am, I am happy to rewatch it. Um, the first time I ever saw The Evil Dead was when the remake came out in 2013. I went to go see that in theaters. Um, and that was when I was, like, becoming a horror fan. But I was still pretty early into my, like, figure out what kind of horror I liked. And that movie gave me nightmares for, like, two days straight. Um, yeah. And now, going back and watching the original Evil Dead, I'm like, first of all, I do not like the remake anywhere near as much as I like the original. And two, I think the scares are kind of cheap in comparison to what the original is doing. It's like, no wonder they didn't end up remaking Evil Dead 2 or any of, like anything else. They just were like, all right, well, enough of this then, I guess. Yeah, for real. Uh, I had to watch the Blair Witch Project when I was, like, 15. (laughs) Oh, God. And I got so scared that I made my friend turn it off. And that's actually the first time I saw the Rocky Horror Picture Show, because that's what we watched instead. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, we watched The Evil Dead. I watched The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad from 1958. Fun. Um, That was uh, Chris Pick. (laughs) Uh, Of course. It was a really good time. They yeah. had some, like obviously it's you know it looks of its time, um, in that like you know the sure. special effects are kind of choppy and you know you can tell a lot of it is stop motion and you know all of the Middle Eastern characters are played by white people, <laughs> um, but like I it doesn't bother me because I know that that's just how theater was made at the time. Like yeah. 
1950, theater and film were so much closer together as an yeah. art form. And, like, there weren't that many Middle Eastern people in the film industry. And no. that just, that wasn't how it was done. And obviously, if somebody made a movie like that and did that, it would be uh, horrendously offensive. Um, but that's that's not the media landscape that existed in 1958. And yeah. I, it, I think it's more interesting to look at it as like a an example of the time instead of trying to apply modern sensibilities yeah. to it. As pieces of film uh, history rather than... Yeah. Um, and I, I had a good time watching it. They had this fantastic like satyr cyclops thing that's like you know 20 feet tall and obviously stop motion and honestly it was a blast hell yeah um so that was great i watched a couple of movies for um for this episode which we'll get into later Mm -hmm. um i went to a work event today we had like a party for my team and we watched Hocus Pocus 2, mm. and it was really, really bad. <laughs> Shocker. Like, yeah. I swear, like, a third of the movie was, like, took place in a very branded Walgreens. Ew. Oh, boy. Like, really obvious brand placement. Yikes. Um, it was, it was not good. Yeah. Oof. I... I don't have any, like, nostalgia for Hocus Pocus. I was telling my mom no, about this, because she was I. like, you heard about Hocus Pocus too, yeah? And I was like, Mom, I didn't see that movie till like, last year. I watched it at, uh, my, my roommate, my beloved roommate Amanda is in, uh, choir, and she does, like, the social management stuff, and they had, like, a little event, and I was like, yeah, I'll go to that. And that was the first time I watched Hocus Pocus, so I have no nostalgia for that movie. And I remember they announced there was going to be a second one, and I was like, Oh, it's not going to be very good, is it? And then it, uh, so when you were like, it was bad, I'm like, yeah, tracks, I think. Yeah, I, uh, I saw the first one when I was in my teens, I think. Mm-hmm. So, like, old enough that it didn't, like, become part of my identity. Sure. Like, I was either too old, too old or too young to be watching it. I was, like, not the right age. Um... I didn't like it very much at the time, so I also don't have any nostalgia about it. Yeah. But the new one just felt like it was trying so hard, and it just wasn't landing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also watched the 2006 tour documentary about my chemical romance called life on the murder scene it's a whole two-hour movie i don't know don't ask me what's going on in my brain (laughs) yeah that's what i've seen cool cool uh awesome okay Alea, i'd like to ask you first before we kind of get into it like what is your particular um like interest in this genre and like why and also like how do you how do you personally define define it? it yeah yeah Okay, yeah, I can definitely talk about that. So, um, my brain does this thing where if I read a book that I really enjoy or see a movie or something that's part of a specific subgenre, I immediately get, like, a bug in my ear about, like, needing to 
understand this genre fully, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it happened to me with Dark Academia. It happened to me with, I don't know, other things. With, like, monster movie classics. Like, I read Frankenstein and Dracula and the Phantom of the Opera books all, like, in one year as a teenager. Um, so, basically, I decided at some point last year that I was going to do a deep dive on kids on bikes and I made up a list. I did a bunch of research and I just sort of spent the year digging my way through that list. Um, I feel like the main elements of kids on bikes are really kids got to have the bikes and (laughs) It's got to be kids who are kind of at that transitional age between childhood and adolescence, right? Where they're not really sure, like, what res- what their responsibilities are. They're sort of starting to grow out of, like, childhood, but they're definitely not adults yet. Um, Early and- high school, late middle school feels like kind of the ideal age bracket there, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Um I feel like some of them can be a little younger. Like, I feel like sometimes kids on bikes are, like, 10. Um, I feel like middle school as a whole, maybe up to and including freshmen in high school, would be my yeah. range. Like, I'll buy that. Yeah, 10 to 14-ish is usually the age for that. Um, but it's an age where kids have, you know, some amount of independence. Uh, in their life, you know, like they're allowed to walk to school on their own or bike to the friend's house or the park or whatever it is. Um, and generally there is an element of supernatural horror, but I don't think it's required. No, I was going to say Stand By Me is not supernatural. No. And neither is but the it Goonies. does have a horror element yeah. because they're going to see a dead body. Right. But but the Goonies, which when you were like, I should watch the Goonies, that's part of this. I was like, really? The Goonies? But, cause, but because it doesn't have a horror or a supernatural element. But what you said that I was like, oh, but I get where it still falls in. I understand where it still kind of is a part of that picture. Yeah. And I think both Stand By Me and the Goonies are kind of outlier- outliers in the genre. Yeah, totally. Just because they lack that supernatural element. Um, And almost on opposite ends of the spectrum, too. Because Stand By Me is, like, one of the most emotionally impacting movies I've ever seen. And The Goonies was, like, goofy as shit. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Stand By Me is a little bit... It's it's the, like, sliding scale of, like, emotional and morbid to, like, kids having a goofy adventure. Right? Yeah, because yeah, they're trying to save yeah, their and... house, and that's... Yeah, yeah, which is, like, that's sad, right? But that ends up not really coming up very much outside of the setup of, like, we have to save the Goondocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really... It never comes up ever again, except for, once again, at the very end, where they're like, fuck you, real estate people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sleazy real estate people. Yeah. yeah. Who my dad cannot um, stand, that actor, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the one playing the real estate agent? yeah he knew him he he knows him because of course these are all like 
Oregon actors because it was filmed in yeah, Astoria. Yeah, totally. And he's like that guy. He's like the guy is not. A, he's like not very nice. Apparently, I don't know. But he's like the way he. So he was typecast. Every time we watch that movie, and that he says that line where he's like holding out the um the thing is like now sign it. And dad's yeah. like, oh, he is such terrible delivery. <laughs> <laughs> that's right fuck like, that guy he's not a very good actor and i'm like dad that's so funny <laughs> i love your dad um, yeah so i guess fuck that yeah. guy sorry wherever you are so fuck yeah uh, fuck that guy in particular yeah <laughs> another element of kids on bikes that i feel like is important to mention but yeah. as kind of a joke is cory feldman <laughs> mm, bless. yeah Who's in like three of the things? Yeah, on my list. He's, and he's, I've, I, I've made so many jokes about typecasting, but that really was his his thing that he was doing as a child actor for a while. He is giving yeah. it everything. Yeah, a hundred percent. He's in Stand by Me, right? He's, I think so. Yeah, he's in Stand by Me. And, yeah, he's the he has he's a the smaller the, role in Stand by Me. He does. He's the kid with the fucked up ear. Mm, he's the glasses, I think. I think. As, He's he's more nerdy yeah. in Stand by Me and in and in The Goonies and in I mean he's a nerd in The Lost Boys. He's in Friday the Thirteenth also. Yeah, he is. Yeah, in three and four. Sorry, I just had that moment of like, wait a minute, <laughs> if we're like, talking about horror. But The Goonies and The Lost Boys are, yes. uh, which Corey Feldman is in. Is in That's both just- of those. Kind of a joke, but like, yeah, it really is just like. But like, once you do that more out. than twice, then it becomes a trend. Uh, I guess I should call out uh, Kiefer Sutherland too. Then, yeah, probably. Yeah, because he's in Stand by What's Me. What's the other thing? And he's in. He's in Stand by Me, and oh. he's in The Lost Boys. Yeah. Yes, I w- I forgot that he was in Stand by Me. I've not seen that. That was a movie I saw in middle school along with E. T. <laughs> actually oh maddie maddie you've got to watch stand by me again it's, yes i was gonna try to watch it today but i ran out of time yeah much like it's et where dis- like yeah sorry um much like et where i watched that as a kid and was like haha alien and then we watched that in madeline's basement and i was uh crying by the end because i was like oh my god these kids so now yeah. as an adult i imagine i'm gonna watch stand by me whereas in middle school i was like yeah this is a movie i guess and now i'm gonna be like oh my god these fucking kids <laughs> Well, the thing is that, like, yes, of course E.T. made you cry as an adult. And I want you to know that whatever the kids have going on in E.T., it's more in Stand By Me. Yeah. Because Stand By Me is the one that doesn't have the supernatural element. Yeah. So everything they're dealing with is just so real. Right. You know, it's like, like, they're talking about, like, awareness of their class differences between the kids. Like... There's uh, no softening of the blow due to a fantastical element. It is just yeah. about their lives. It's just about growing up and realizing yeah. that you have predetermined places that you have to go and yeah. like all of this crazy stuff. And, you know, Stand By Me, I watched it for the first time last year with Ezra, actually. Um, after having read the book, the novella. The short story? Yeah, it's like a couple hundred pages, so I think it qualifies it's as a novella. It's a novella at that point, yeah. Yeah, it's like 200 pages or something like that. Yeah. Um, I have not read that. You know, I will stand... I'll stand by it. Um, I think that The Body, which no, is that's the, the other Stephen novella, King movie. is the best thing that Stephen King has ever written. Okay. 
and I've read a decent number of his books now. Like that man is more prolific than God, and I say that literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's yeah. he's keep he's keeping he's keeping at it. He's keep he keeps doing it. Oh, he's it. keeping at it. That's so right. And like he's, I've read keep on, keep a decent sampling of his most popular works, which I'm going to sure. talk about a little more later. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But <laughs> I do think Body is truly the best thing he's ever written, mm. and the most like like there's not a moment in the body where you're just like uh, uh, steven yeah <laughs> i know yeah, that fair. feeling well yeah yeah don't yeah, we all did. me yeah. at the beginning of the second dark tower book <laughs> Helena yeah. and me finishing it yeah um boy oh this uh, is an interesting anyway. ending oh my god what's happening yeah me reading the <laughs> summary for <laughs> one of his more recent books. God, what was that one called? It's not The Stranger. Oh, the, uh, the Outsider. Yes. Oh, my God. I read the summary for that book, and I was like, enough of this, Stephen. We can't keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Stephen King has been properly edited since he became famous. I swear to God, I and pull out God. a new... <laughs> I, I think I pull out a new book by him out of a box for the new release table at work, like, every other week. And every single time, yeah, I'm like, again? Real. Again, you just must we? You just did, but how? <laughs> I, I, I think know. it says something that like the my favorite impact that Stephen King has had on media are the people, like the characters in media that are meant to be an homage to him, <laughs> like Alan yeah. Wake and uh, Harry from Silent Hill and the guy from <laughs> Scooby Doo and the Witch's Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and separately like stand by me and dr sleep like i like those movies but also i'm like oh steven <laughs> you're out of control oh, man steven. or oh, his, his own character author avatar in the misery as well which speaking of which <laughs> yeah i so like misery and on a brief tangent there was a i watched it on hbo max and there was a brief like really cute like uh, Zoom introduction to the movie beforehand, by which I mean Rob Reiner was like on a Zoom call talking about the movie, and he was talking That's very about funny. how he got the the right to do the movie, and he said because he made he made the stand, and um, Stephen King apparently said that it was like his favorite film adaptation of his work that anybody had made at that point, um, which gave oh. him a little bit of leeway to make Misery as well when that happened. Yeah, yeah. Do you mean Stand By Me or The Stand? Sorry, I said Stand. I did I say The Stand? Stand By Me. You said The Stand. Gross. But I, fi- I figured. No. Yeah. Um, not a, I mean, I not not a comment on the book. Fact. I just like the movie. Out, every movie adaptation has been terrible. Yeah. Fun fact about Stand By Me, again, is that when I watched it with Ezra for the first time uh, last year, I was watching it and I was like, this feels like a Rob Reiner movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just because of like the quality of the light and the way the shots are framed. Yeah. And the only other Rob Reiner movie I've ever seen was The Princess Bride. And I don't think Stand By Me and The Princess Bride have anything in common except that they're both directed by Rob Reiner. Yeah. But that was enough for me to say, I think this is a Rob Reiner flick. And it was. And yeah. that was kind of really cool. And that like is, a moment of personal development for me. Yeah, that is, and and I feel the same way about Misery too. And I think I think it's also it's like the quality of the light, the way that he directs actors, 
is very particular mm-hmm. because he was also an actor as well. And I think he has a particular skill with that, that and, and a particular like approach to it that I think really stands out um, because the kids in Stand By Me are so good. They're, they're, they're really giving really decent performances and even they're like, giving incredible performances and considering the fact that the kids are Corey Feldman, Will Wheaton and River Phoenix. Yeah, well, River Phoenix uh, is amazing, but Will Wheaton like I, I keep forgetting Will Wheaton is there. Yeah, and he's yeah. good as the thing. Like I sorry, Will. <laughs> I, you know, bias about Wesley to him. aside like, you know, however you feel about Will Wheaton yeah. as a as a young actor or as an adult on Twitter. Uh He's very good in Stand By Me. Yeah, I was going to say, my main beef with him is as an adult on Twitter, I think he's actually fine. In he's Star not, Trek, but it's, anyway. he's not good, but like, it's not his fault. It's the writing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, it really is just like, he's fine. I don't think he deserves all the flack he gets, but that is neither here nor there. He's very good in Stand By Me. He's also like a child, but, and I think he also like oh, yeah. got the part in Star Trek from doing this movie like this was the thing that kind of got him noticed that would not surprise me um yeah, that would not surprise me at all yeah and stand I mean, it was like right around the same right around the time because what stand by me was what year did you say 80 uh, i think it's 84 or 85 86 very nice 86. yeah so like literally like know. one year somewhere before. in oh, there so right Next before generation. the princess bride it's like right it's like a year before the princess bride and three years before River Phoenix's incredible turn in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> and we just uh, one scene. My- He's fucking incredible in that movie, and I love that film. Um, he is amazing. I love him. Yeah. Bless. Yeah. Um, uh, did we successfully define kids on bikes? I think so. I think so? <laughs> I think so. You if, we were, if we were to put it, yeah, if we were to put it, you got bikes. Yeah, you got usually some kind of horror element. Yeah, yeah. There's some. There's some element of a mystery. There's something, whether the, and generally that is horror or supernatural. There's a threat yeah. of some kind to yeah their like their I um, their the way childhood. they have lived their lives. Yeah, their yeah. their childhood yeah. as it has been up to that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's actually one of the things I was thinking about, like, how it has to kind of happen in, you know, a rural or suburban setting. Mm-hmm. Um, because they really, they it, like, has to be kid. the kids have to have kind of lived a fairly idyllic life up until that point. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, Halcyon Days, kind of. Yeah. You know, biking around, swimming in the lake. Um, uh, a real, as you pointed out, a relative amount of freedom that, like... Not yeah. to not to put too fine a point on it. Us as kids who grew up in a city did not necessarily have. Mm-hmm. Us as a kids who grew up in a city in, in the nineties and like, early two thousands. Nineties and early two thousands. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. So I think kids on bikes is also really kind of anchored in time. Yeah. Um, and I would say that's like kind of fifties through eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't see much looking at this list you've written here that would have taken place after that. Yeah. Um, Summer of Night takes place in the 50s. Uh, the original It book actually takes place in the 50s as well. The kid portion. Yeah. Even yeah. though it was changed to the 80s for the more recent movies. E.T. is the 90s? Am I recalling that correctly? E.T. is the I... 80s. Yeah. The 80s? Okay. Yeah. E.T. is late 80s, I think. Okay. Yeah. That might be where I'm getting confused. 
Um, Super 8 was meant to take place in the late 70s. Hmm. Um, Ah, I was wondering that. They don't ever explicitly say it, but I was like, this feels like early 80s, late 70s, because they're talking about the Soviets. Yeah, I believe it's supposed to be 78. Yeah. Um, But it doesn't feel like that. No, it It feels feels very... Very modern. Yeah, it feels like a very modern interpretation of specifically the 80s. Yeah. Um, Much like Stranger Things, I think, feels that same way, where they're trying really hard to make it feel like the 80s, but it feels modern. I think Stranger Things does a better job, though. No, I'll agree on that, for sure. I just think, I think Super 8 did, that did, that that was like one of my biggest beefs with Super 8, actually, is that it didn't feel authentically 70s. No. Um... I think the pa- that Paper Girls is also meant to take place in the 80s. That would make sense. Um, but I can't remember off the top of my head. I did slam the omnibus of that comic series, which is about 800 <laughs> in about four hours. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, cheers. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well done. I don't read a lot of comics because I read them too fast and it, it it's not very satisfying. Same. Yeah. yeah. I do read uh, comics because I read them really fast and therefore it's easy for me to consume a lot of content at once. So we have uh, the same problem in three three different ways. Um, I still remember one time I was over at Ben's house and he was like, hey, you should read this comic. I think you'd really like it. And I was like, yeah, man, no problem. And I just sat on this floor and I spent 20 minutes reading two volumes of it. And I was like, okay, here you go. And he was like, uh, pardon me? And I was like, yeah, I'm done. Thank you for lending those to me. And he was like, dude, I meant you to take them home. And I was like, oh, well, I didn't need to. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then Wrinkle in Time, which you've put on this list, which I didn't ever think about as a kid's on bike. Yeah, but like, neither did I, but... Is? I I loved that series growing up. I actually read uh, more of the later books than the original. Um, Interesting. Yes, yes. There was one that is, uh, I think it's called Many Waters. Oh, where yeah. Where the twins, and this is uh, way off topic, the twins end up going back to uh, the time of Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. Oh, weird. So yeah. so they know that there's a massive flood about to happen to these people, and there's not really much they can do about it. And the and angels... It's, the twins grow up to be, like, tween, tweens. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's the... They talk about the seraphim and the the, lef, the nephilim, and which like is how I learned about they're ha- those they're concepts. they're with the humans, and it's yeah. very... It's... I mean, it's I... It's fascinating. I enjoyed it, but um, it's... Ah, uh, yeah. It's very, very weird. Yeah, I read that one in the original Rick and Time the most, I think. But I, uh, yeah, when I think of Rick and Time, I think of, weirdly, I think of Many Waters first. <laughs> yeah, I read the yeah, original Rick I... Time many, many, many times. It was one of my childhood yeah. favorites. Yeah. I actually only read Wrinkle in Time as a as an adult. Mm. Oh. Um, I somehow missed it as a teen. Yeah, or as a kid. happens. Um, I think because the author's name was very similar to the author of one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just like, oh, no, it's not the cool one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Enchantress from the Stars is the book I'm thinking of by Sylvia Louise Engdahl. Ah, okay. Um, and Wrinkle in Time, of course, is Madeline Langle. Yeah. Um, so I read it recently and I watched the movie with Chris a couple years ago. Um, how was that? And I, I just... It I watched fine. part of it and I thought it was fine. Yeah. It wasn't great. Yeah. I think the book is better. 
Chris Pine is a good dad. He um, is. I it was it, yeah it was fine. There, uh, would you like to see Oprah large? <laughs> I I remember I didn't actually end up finishing it. I got like maybe halfway through and I got a little misty eyed and I was like I think I it was something where like I was gonna go do something and I was like okay whatever I'll pick this up later or I won't. But it was one of those six, like notable circumstances where I never went back to finish it. I was like I think I'm fine. Yeah yeah. It wasn't it was- bad. It was just like eh. Yeah and um. That just happens when you adapt beloved children's books often. I think that was my yeah. first episode on here is talking about adaptations. Um, it's kind of like the sci-fi entry into Kids on Bikes. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Totally. And it's interesting because uh, it doesn't, a lot of it doesn't necessarily take place at home. Which yeah. is, I think, what I, why I never thought of it as a Kids on Bike. Kid, all the kids on one bike. <laughs> all of them. Um, all the kids uh, on one bike. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all, the the cloud version of kids on bikes. Um, yeah, but but I I still understand why it is it would be part of that genre for sure. Yeah, and um, I sort of made that connection and actually added it to the list after reading Paper Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's another one that doesn't take place at home a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly about time travel. Mm, love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another interesting twist where I was like, huh, I'm not sure how I feel about this being the way this story goes. Um, but I was like, by the end, I like had bought into it. So yeah, I also think that when they adapted Paper Girls for Amazon, um, into a TV show, mm-hmm. which was not renewed yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, that they made it more kids on bikes than the original comic mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they simplified the story down. They centered it more around their home. Mm-hmm. They centered it more around the girls as characters and like, you know, getting to meet their older selves and stuff. Mm. Okay. Um, as opposed to the comic series, which had a lot more time travel and convoluted storyline situation. Yeah. Mm. Um, both of them were fun, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't finish the TV show because it's an Amazon show, and there's just something about Amazon shows that I don't <sighs> click every, with. every time. <laughs> it, it's just not right. Like... It's it's almost too simple, but I wouldn't want it to be more complicated because yeah. I I really I don't know how to articulate what it is about the Amazon production style that just doesn't work. No, I know what you mean though, and I do agree. It almost looks too much like a commercial or something. Yeah, or it feels too, like the production value is like too sterile. Yeah, Even in a, in a weird way, an obscene amount of money. <laughs> yeah, it's very smooth. Mm. Yeah, it's it's it feels very much like the kind of content where they're like, we need to make every shot look like we could put it in an ad. Yeah, yeah, and not just that, but like the script felt very, um, like every line that each of the characters says is very exemplary of the character type that they're embodying. Mm. There's no subtlety. There's no subtlety. There's no nuance. 
um, like there's one character who's like, you know, a tough tomboy mm. and everything out of her mouth is either like a swear word or something rude or I don't need your help. And obviously she has a heart of gold underneath it all. And she's right. scared of everything. But how but, are you supposed to know that? I mean, you do know it, but it's just so on the nose all the time. Right. And I don't know. I yeah. really enjoyed that character, but I was just like, could you could Tone you write down? her a little more delicately? Could you write her like not delicately like personality wise, but like with more finesse? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's 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 hard to get at what I mean there. But No, I pick up what you're putting down though. It's it's very like saturated in terms of like the the personality traits and the tropes. There's not a lot of kind of middling gray in terms of like I'm mixing my metaphors here big time. But, uh, <laughs> well, I'm picking up what you're putting down, so I think yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah. I it also like separately the Amazon stuff feels like capital C content TM. Yeah. Um, which is just like I we live in a world where I am constantly fucking inundated with content. Like, man, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to Chris about it, who often thinks about the um uh the doylist elements of media mm-hmm. and why they work and don't in a way that I don't tend to think about. Except yeah. you know, I've picked it up a little since he and I have been together. Yeah. Um but he thinks just so much about like the media landscape and advertising and all that kind of thing. Um, so his point was in order for a show to make it and to get renewed now, it has to generate buzz when it comes out. Right. Yeah. And like, nobody was really talking about paper girls when it dropped, but they were maybe a couple months later, but it had already been canceled. Yeah. As opposed to something like stranger things, which, you know, People were excited for that show to come out. Yeah. Nobody was really excited for Paper Girls to come out. And nobody really, like, watched it right when it came out and started blogging about it or tweeting about it or whatever. Therefore, it was a failure. Therefore, it was a failure because it didn't go viral for, you know, three days of internet time. Which which is really too bad because there was something there. Like, it could have been on a level with stranger things or something, but it just isn't. (sighs) (laughs) I know. What a world we live in. I mean, do Um, we want to transition on that note to stranger things or do we just want to be like, well, stranger things. Oh, let's get into it. Um, (laughs) Get into it. Yeah. I think we've, cause I make a joke about it in our, in our outro. Let me be clear. Uh, (laughs) We have to talk about stranger things. Um, no, we don't have to. It's not like I haven't made outro jokes that didn't make any sense before. Uh, I I think we've talked about on the show, but if not, we've absolutely talked about personally that, like, I think maybe more than one of us, but me for sure, watched season one of Stranger Things and was like, that was pretty good. But I think I'm like, I that felt like a satisfying, satisfying arc of story there. Um, like, I'm good. And then they made a season two, and I was like, about what? And then I just never watched any of the other stuff. And every time... A, a Stranger Things season comes out, it's, like, all over the internet, everywhere. And I'm like, but, like, what is it about? Like, what is this show about anymore? No one's Russia. ever talking about what the show is about. It's all about, like, who's kissing. or what, Russia and, like, and Matthew Modine. Um, Kate Bush. 
I keep Which don't get me wrong, Kate, Kate Bush, her? I love you, but like people kept being like, "We've we have discovered Kate Bush," and I'm like, "Please stop, <laughs> no, Matthew, please stop discovering Kate Bush." Um, I also did that with Stranger Things. I also watched the first season and thought it was really tight and solid, and yeah, yeah, uh, enjoyed it a lot. Series. And then I never watched season two or season three, and I kind of want to get into season four. Uh, if only because um, the actor that I'm a fan of that nobody else is ever a fan of is in it. Oh. Uh, the bad guy is played by Jamie Campbell Bower, the one and only. Oh, no shit. I had, yeah. He, says a lot that I had no fucking like, clue that there was even a bad guy of this season. I thought it was another alien or some shit. He's in prosthetics the whole time. He's like oh, been sad. Uh, uh, upside downified. <laughs> um, but. It is, in fact, Jamie Campbell Bower under all of that. I have been let down by the internet that no one was tell- like talking about that. That's so sad. Yeah, and then there's that other guy that everyone's shipping with. Uh... With Steve. 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 Yeah, now I do like Steve. Miz, who is, uh, I love Steve. Steve what? is the love of my life. Um, yeah, this guy. Yeah, I was going to say, Steve is the part that I care about of Stranger Things. Steve I... and like the other older <laughs> teens. I also yeah. watched season one, really enjoyed it, and then... I definitely watched season two. Couldn't really tell you anything about the plot. I just remember that Steve was really cool in it. And I yeah. had a crush on him. And he was like, I'm yeah. your mom now. You're all grounded. and <laughs> You're all my kids. <laughs> What's the name of the actor? I like him uh, quite Joe a Carey. lot. Joe Carey. Thank you. Helena, is that why you watched Free Guy? <gasps> I have not seen Free Guy. I have not watched. I was gonna say no. I would have known. (laughs) I would have known if you had done that. No way. I would never commit that. I would never do that to myself. No. Well, Chris made me watch like twenty minutes of it. Oh, Chris. I mean, no, I know Chris he's can't come in. on our I show anymore. Tyka's in it briefly. I know that Jodie Comer's in it. I mean, those are all good for them. I, oh God, I could never. To be clear, I only watched the scenes that Tyka was in. Oh, valid. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, Boy. Anyway, there's there's, there's only so much I will do for Joe Carey. Um, but yeah, then I then I watch season two. I know that he's got a little thing going on. Season three, his best friend played by Maya Hawk. She's pretty cool. Um, she's a oh, cool yeah. lesbian, and she's a cool lesbian. Daughter of Ethan Hawke and Emma Thurman. Beautiful. That's great. right. Love that. Got to support nepotism cool. babies. Um, but like, I'm just like I feel like nah, it seems okay. And I and I just don't think that there's just nothing pulling me in. And I don't like that they I don't like the way that they're treating Will's character from what I've heard of it. And no. I don't like that it's so long that every episode is so long. I see not to be clear, like I open up an episode of Black Sales on my computer and it's like fifty nine minutes, bestie, and I'm like, Absolutely. That you sounds got it, like queen. a great time. And I and I watched my roommate watching, watching Andor, yeah. The finale of <laughs> The finale of Stranger Things season four, and it's like two hours, and I'm like, Godzilla. Two is hours? Yeah, it's like two hours long or something. I'm ridiculous. For what? That's that should be illegal. They should not have to make me watch any episode of television that is two hours long. I agree with you. I it's agree so with that you. you can watch the the like five minute Metallica solo that the the D and D nerd. I'm so played. mad. The I'm so guy. mad. He played. I cannot play? believe that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's long. Um, I yeah. I am I am like okay, mouth okay, open, right. baffled. <laughs> Christ. So kids on bikes. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I feel like Stranger Things kind of kicked off that. I mean, obvious not kicked off because Super Eight came out first. Yeah, but. Stranger Super Things 8 didn't kick did... off anything, let's be let's be fair. <laughs> oh yeah, no, Super 8 was mid at best. Yeah. Even if I liked it. Yeah. Um Stranger Things kind of kicked off uh, a resurgence of 80s nostalgia. Yeah. In our culture. Mm-hmm. Both in Kids on Bikes media and just overall. Yeah. Uh I think. And <laughs> um actually it also introduced us to a whole new group of kid actors. And, like, a new caliber, I think, for kid actors. Because it was getting pretty dire there for a bit. Sorry, I had to tell everyone in the Discord that I just found out the season four finale of Stranger Things was two hours long. Maddie, if I may correct you, <laughs> if I may correct you, I am actually on Netflix right now. The Stranger Things finale yeah. is actually two hours and 30 minutes long. I'm going to fucking scream. <laughs> yeah. What I cannot hell? believe that! And every other episode is like 1 hour 25, 1 hour 38, 1 hour 15, 1 hour 6. I mean, like, it's there's not a single episode that is it's less so than an long. hour. 2 hours and 30 minutes is fucking longer than most Several movies <laughs> that are good. <laughs> Just, I don't understand. Why? But, uh, I, uh, uh, d- what... I, sorry, if I, I like, wanted j- to watch Finn Wolfhard make that face for that long, I'd just watch It Chapter it. 1 again. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to be clear that all the stu- the stuttering I just did was not a bit. That was genuinely me trying to put a sentence together and being physically unable to. We will get back to actually talking about like anything else about Stranger Things in a minute, but I, I just have to say out loud with my human mouth that if you are going to make an episode of a TV show that long, you have to earn it. That is a gamble that is... Big. You are taking a big risk there to say this TV show is worth sitting down for two hours and 30 minutes to watch one episode for. And I cannot think of a single show, and I've liked a lot of TV in my life, that I would have thought, you're right, there should have been two hours and 30 minutes of this this TV show episode. Now, to be clear, I'll watch two hours and 30 minutes of TV, or there have been times in my right. life when I have done that before. I'm not really a person who can sit down and, and binge TV for that long, but... I've yeah, done it in the medium. past. But like but each individual episode wasn't two hours and thirty that minutes long. long. It was like You were saying <laughs> that the arc of this episode is worth spending that much time for. That's that seems like genuinely, that seems like bad writing if yeah. you need that much time to really wrap make another episode. When I Just make I another have, episode. Five episodes I of Frasier. Have watched a TV show, a, a show that has episodes that regularly exceed two hours. Okay, oh. what's the but show? The show is Critical Role, which is a that's live different. Show. Yes, that yeah, is different. That is, is not a scripted. But I still couldn't do it. It's different, but I did still sit down and watch like five hours of Critical Role in a sitting. Sure, but that's not a scripted. I think the difference there is that's not a scripted. I mean, it wasn't at the time. A scripted high production TV show. That's live improv, which is yeah. which is different. Yeah. And that's also a standard not- length for, a, like, a tabletop session. Yeah. 
like it's still not scripted but it is very high production now yeah 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 yeah. which i think is really the key the key difference there if they were doing scripted live tabletop like that i would then say like i I would maybe give it a little more flex once again because that's kind of standard for a tabletop session that's just how long those kinds of things tend to be but i would still think like do you do they need to be like steeple isn't two hours and 30 minutes and once again we're not scripted right no but but it could be and sometimes we do go (laughs) it's true sometimes we go a little bit longer right um but i tend to think like if we're going to make an episode that long, if we're going to do something like that from a producer's point of view, we have to be making something that is worth having somebody sit down for that long and listen to it. And it's different because you can listen to us and do other stuff. And people pause podcasts all the time. What yeah. are you doing in your TV show? I apparently have really strong opinions about something I didn't even think about until maybe two minutes ago. But <laughs> <laughs> It's true. You can pause your podcast. And also... Sometimes Chris hangs up on me because he forgets that I'm not a podcast and he can't just pause me when something <laughs> I love him. Can you tell him I love him? I can tell him that, that you love him. That is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm excited for Chris to hang up on us when we finally have him on Steeple because he forgets he can't pause us. Oh my god. Anyway, okay, let's go back to actually talking about the kids on Bite's okay. part of Stranger Things. I just, I like... I do want to talk about it. I can um, never be convinced to watch this show now. You could never convince me to watch this show. I oh think that the most interesting thing about Stranger Things, if you don't mind me diving right into it. Please, uh, please save me. Save me from myself. Is that each age group is effectively in a different genre. Right? Mm-hmm. So the a youngest A little bit group, like Lost Boys. A little bit like Lost Boys. The youngest group of kids are the kids on bikes. The teenagers um, are in your typical, like, you know, horror movie slasher type thing. Sure. Um, And the adults are in this, like, X-Files show. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, or they're they're in, like, a a sci-fi investigation. So, yeah, X-Files. Yeah, X-Files. Um... And they're all operating in their age groups. And it almost makes you wonder, like, if that is a aged-based reaction to that type of situation. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought about that too deeply. But, like... No, but I think there's something there for sure. I wish there were slightly more kids on bikes that had that kind of... Super 8 does that a little bit in terms of, like, yeah. there's the difference between what the dad is experiencing and what the kids are experiencing. But even then, it doesn't really go that far. And I think that that would be interesting to explore further. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because the dad is like, oh, there's, you know, all these military police. There's these, yeah. um, what are they, blueberries? The dad blueberries. is having the world's, like, worst week at work. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, you know, the dad is, like, the, um, the guy from Jaws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's Chief Brody. <laughs> yeah. He's Chief Brody, and he's, like, holding well, he it all never be, with but... his bare hands. Yeah. Um, while this like you know military police is is combing over his town right. and meanwhile the it's the air all... force weirdly it is the air force which is like such a i understand kind of where they picked that but it also seems kind of weird i mean to be fair it also could be that they're a subgroup of the air force that's not really air force that's fair like it, it, air I force is like... just the cover for what this group actually is I feel like if you have a secret 
military police or a science division or whatever, you would probably just slap on, you know. That's true. Air Force is the one that I'm the least suspicious about generally, so. (laughs) Yeah. You're just like, okay, yeah, you're part of the Air Force now. Don't worry about it. Not to mention your very special secret uh, science subset of the Air Force. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Anyway. Not a Anyway. Um... Yeah, but, like, it's really clear in Stranger Things, especially in season one, mostly because that's the one I've seen, um, how stratified the experiences of these kids are just because of their, like, you know, their place in life. Like, um, Winona Ryder is over here, like, my kid disappeared and he's been having a hard time and I, you know, I'm divorced and... I, I'm barely holding it together and my kid is missing. And meanwhile, the teenagers are just like, huh, there's something weird on one of our friends died. Mm-hmm. And then the kids are just like, there is a monster. <laughs> and we're naming it after our D&D characters. That's right. Um, that would also be my reaction. I get it, kids. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's interesting to look at like nostalgia media like that mm-hmm. in comparison to stuff that was made at the time. Um, yeah. Do you mind if I step past Stranger Things now? Yes. Please. Yeah. Let's move right on, huh? Can we talk about? Okay. Because um, when you've got a book that was adapted twice in different decades, yes, <laughs> that's kind of the perfect way to compare. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get. Let's um, go into. I it, was huh? hoping this would be the next step. Yeah. I'm excited to get into this as somebody who has not actually read or seen any of this to talk about it specifically with you two. <laughs> yeah, to talk about it. That's <laughs> right. It. Wink. It. Wink. <laughs> uh, first of all, Stephen King, lay off the cocaine, man. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> uh, yeah. King, Look, not was- a listener of this podcast. Uh, it was the 80s. I feel like everybody was kind of doing it. But it had, oh boy, man. it had an effect on him in a way that we can't even parse. So, for our listeners, for our listeners who may not have, who may not know the lore of it, the clown book, clown brick, which I have on my book uh, right this, now. Yeah, Do, what is it? Eighty-seven. Um. When was it published? I'm asking my brain and not typing it into Google. She says mm-hmm. typing it into Google. 86. 86. Okay. So it is a 1,200 page book mm-hmm. that was published in 1986. Took him five about years. About a group of... Huh? Took him five years to write. Took him five years to write it. It's about a group of kids who fight an eldritch horror in 1958 I believe and then reunite uh 27 years later in 80 I can't do math 5 I want to say it's 85 mm-hmm. um to fight it again as adults and the eldritch horror takes the form of a clown but really it is truly a cosmic horror creature that came to earth with 
the meteor that killed the dinosaurs. Yep. I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. It's so fucking funny every time I think about that. It's so good. It's so good. How do they find that out, Leia? Do you want to talk about that? Do we want to skip over that part of the plot? <laughs> um. Well, now I feel like I've paused too long. <laughs> I can't. You know what uh, the magic of editing is? Is I can just cut out that pause. I mean, <laughs> I can't. Sick. I can't fully remember anyway. But I have some. Uh, they try to mimic a Native American ritual that they found in a book, mm-hmm. and they hot box <laughs> their <laughs> underground clubhouse yeah. with a campfire with weed. Yep, um, that's right. That's the campfire, right. and then go down there and inhale smoke until they see visions. Mm-hmm. That's right. This part does not make it into the movies. I wonder why. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why uh, yeah, I don't know. That happened. It's really baffling to me, yeah. I mean, to be fair, in the version... Not to be fair, just as a point of observation. The version fair. in... <laughs> the way that they do it in It Chapter 2 in the remake is like Mike drugs them? <laughs> or does he just oh. drug Bill specifically to be like, and I had a vision of the thing and, and like... It's really weird. So, Mike drugs Bill non-consensually. Yeah. And then he drugs everyone else, but he tells the rest of them that he's going to do it. Oh, that's nice of him. Because he needed backup when he tried to convince the rest of them to take the drugs. And that was Bill. Yeah. Um... In the book, I believe it's Bill and Richie who are the ones who can stay in the smoke long enough to get to the vision point. Yeah, because at the uh, end of the book, they're the ones, too, who are fighting it the longest, like, in the vision. like Right, they're the ones who go into the the other dimension or whatever. Yeah, and see the turtle. and To fight it. And it, because Bill freezes up and Richie is the one who gets it because... Boy. It wasn't expecting Richie to be able to fight. Yeah. <laughs> Scream. Uh, look, obvious. This is sorry. This is very obvious. I keep forgetting that it's just called it. Yeah. It has a name, but I don't remember what it is. <laughs> Fair no, enough. and they call it it in the book, and they just capitalize it. Like, yeah. Like both letters usually, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Um. Or is it just the one? Um, it, that wasn't the case in, in my edition. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they did capitalize uh, it whenever they were talking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... The thing about it... <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that it's got some good parts. Yeah. And it's got some really bad parts. <laughs> and each adaptation of it reflects this Uh um so it was adapted into a tv miniseries in 1990 um starring tim curry as the clown our friend uh our friend tim curry uh ezra loved watching that version because um they were like i functionally can't be afraid of tim curry he's shaped like a friend I love that. And I'm like, that's a really great way to think about it. 
Um, I think John Ritter is the next most famous person in that movie. Yeah, at the time, well, at the time, and also I think just today, even too. Yeah, he's the most famous person. He plays Ben. Um, then as an adult, yeah. Then I would say probably um, Dennis Christopher would be the next most famous person playing uh, Eddie. Because <laughs> he had done, like, Breaking uh-huh. Away. Is, he done a few, like, coming-of-age stuff at that point. Is Annette O'Toole fairly famous for acting? Or is she related to Peter O'Toole? Annette I don't know. O'Toole, I can't remember. I mean, um, and also, what's her name? Oh, terrible. Olivia Hussey, who plays uh, Bill's wife, was is... Oh, yeah, from the from Black Christmas. Um, She's, yeah, Black Christmas, and she was in the Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet when she was a teenager as well. Um, so she was well-known. Oh, and, uh, uh, is it Harry Anderson? Who plays Richie as an adult? Who's the judge on Night Court? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, our beloved, our favorite child of Vancouver, Emily Perkins. Emily Perkins as child bev yeah as bev as a child yeah yeah um vancouver swing screen great casting yeah i yeah vancouver screen yeah (laughs) i love dennis christopher as eddie i think we've talked about this i think he's mm, perfect (laughs) i really like that they chose to highlight that side of eddie's character in that movie um you know showing him as like anxious and um anxious but brave anyway mm-hmm. uh as opposed to the sort of angry uptight eddie from the 2017 and 2019 fi- or from the 2019 film yeah specifically because i feel like the kid um who plays him in part one <laughs> it's a pretty decent job of like managing both but he is more like of a hype like manic type than an, an anxious type he's he's a lot more manic yeah yeah i liked that kid i i, I think too. the actor the chi- the children in it chapter one were really well cast yeah they were and they're good um and they're good but just oh god just some of the choices that were made in that movie in those those two movies were just yeah. especially chapter 2 i think um the chapter 2 is really <sighs> i don't even know it, it, like it just doesn't it doesn't work i don't and i don't here's the thing i think that the idea of splitting the two of them the two parts of their life into two separate movies it mm-hmm. actually doesn't work and I like that when they go back and forth between it and I think that was the fact that it didn't work was proven by the fact that like I mean they do it anyway but like they realize they had to go back and show some scenes from their childhood to begin with anyway in the second movie mm-hmm. so it was like well why didn't you just just do yeah <laughs> and then they had to do that horrible cg with finn wolfhard's face especially yeah to make his face look rounder or something it was like what is even to make him look younger yeah he grew up a lot because he grew up in, in between the... those two yeah and his face then down he became a teenager you know it happens 
Yeah, um, he became a teenager, and all of them did, but it's yeah. it's most apparent on his face, I think. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting because technically the 1990 adaptation is also a two-parter. It's a it's a TV miniseries, right? With two episodes, but they switch back and forth the whole time. Right. Right. But the structure of it is very much a TV miniseries where the first episode ends with um, with the children defeating it. Yeah. But then the story is able to continue, right? Right. Um, there's still memories to revisit. I don't know. It's... Obviously, it's hard to adapt a 1,200-page book and... But a lot of those 1,200 pages are kind of drivel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and there's some sections where you're like, well, we can't film this. Not because it's impossible with the technology that we have, but like morally and in every other way, we just like, we can't film this. So I guess that's going to be yeah. something that's like, there. <laughs> that we just live that's just we deal with in the background um yeah what if we just skip that part altogether yeah uh which i think is like to be clear i think a good idea <laughs> but like because that part is is batshit insane um and i know that he's defended yeah. it and for various reasons which you know i don't want to get into uh, but like um it's just like <laughs> You can't film it, um, and you shouldn't film it. So, like, you just can't do that. You just can't do it. So, I don't even know. Um, I do like, overall like the book. It, I think, it has some really interesting ideas, and thematically, I find it very interesting. Um, but yeah, and it's got some really compelling characters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, and I, and I, you know, in obvious, a fandom. There's a full fledged fandom. Yeah. About it. Yeah. Right. And God knows I got stuck in that last year a little bit. <laughs> uh, oops. Oopsie. Um, yeah. And then everyone went back to Stranger Things and I was like, oh my God, you're all children. I have to leave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I feel like it kind of set a lot of the kids on bikes tropes right because mm -hmm. it's on the early end for like actual publication and release of that media like i think maybe et was out already yeah 82 i think it was et uh-huh and maybe the lost boys yeah but well, maybe not no lost boys was i think 87 but just right around the same time so yeah, Lost Boys, Goonies, um, E.T. Yeah, Goonies was 85, so that was out. Um, yeah, and then, you know, more books started coming out later. Summer of Night came out in the 90s, I think. Yeah. And uh, As I'm thinking about uh, this, I, I feel like a lot of that happening in the 80s when it did happen, it just it feels like for the most part 
baby boomers, I guess, essentially. I mean, kids who were born in the Mm -hmm. 1940s um, growing up and becoming writers and directors and creating movies that are nostalgic for an idea of childhood. Like, I I mean, Steven Spielberg doing Making E.T. and and like a lot of his movies, obviously, but um, that and I think a lot of Stephen King's stuff is reflecting on parts of his childhood that he hasn't either like fully reconciled with or like is trying to reconcile with in various ways. Um, So like the body is that I think. I mean, there's that, there's that story about how he watched a friend of his get hit by a train and then totally didn't remember it for years. Like, yeah, didn't remember it. it Years. Yeah. Um, Um, I think that's really interesting. And I think that's interesting, especially um, thinking about, the 50s yeah um where a lot of these originated because prior to that childhood was a really different thing Mm -hmm. and this really stood out to me when i was reading summer of night which takes place solidly in the 50s yeah um unlike most of these other things which are either on the tail end of the 50s or later in the 60s 70s mostly 80s um but how close to the old world um the 50s really were you know because there's this whole idealized idea of the 50s that comes up in media a lot right um where i think we sort of pull it forward in time by nature of not having that experience but like in summer of night you know these there are kids in summer of night who get pulled out of school because they have to go work on the farm There are kids who have their grandparents who don't speak English because they're the ones who immigrated from the old world um, who live in the house with them. You know, there's the one kid who has the German grandmother who doesn't speak any English. Um, There's the kid who has to go down into the basement to reset the breaker box. And it's like a uh, like a root cellar. Right. It's like a dirt packed root cellar. And I was reading that book. It just sort of really just occurred to me i was like oh this is such a transitional era for what the meaning of childhood is Mm. and what the meaning of like the suburban family or the small town family or what that kind of life looks like um that it like the kids on bikes genre can't exist before that and then once you get to a certain point uh, in the 90s, probably. It can't really exist after that. Yeah. Just because of, like, what the elements are mm-hmm. um, at play there. And I don't know. That was just... Summer of Night kind of changed my paradigm on some of that. Mm. I really like And it's such a night. cool... Yeah. Um, buddy, for your reference, Summer of Night is about a cursed thing... From the de Medici's that end up in small town uh, and starts call it causing all sorts of problems. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like it's one of those things where like the grown-ups kind of get enthralled with the thing, and then there's like creatures going around, and this one kid keeps seeing the ghost like like uh, a soldier from World War One. Which is weird. He's like, huh, usually when you see soldiers, they're from, you know, the Second World War. 
weird that this guy's wearing such an old uniform kind of thing. It very much felt like it was like holding hands with it. But mm-hmm. I think Summer of Night mm-hmm. is a better book. Yeah, it's definitely more consistent. And um, yeah, Dan Simmons is really good. Dan, uh, Dan Simmons, for people who aren't aware too, also wrote The Terror. Um, he, I think he's really good at dis- at writing about in the way that Stephen King also is writing about creatures and <laughs> that are really terrifying um and in a way that you, that you can actually envision <laughs> there are yeah. a lot of um like horrifying things in Summer of Night where I was like wow that it feels like something I would have seen out of a, a John Carpenter movie you know um yeah and I, and I love that. And it's it's very visceral and very eerie. I, I was having, there's like times when I was uh, like having a hard time actually going to sleep after reading it. And like that's never, it hasn't happened in forever for me. Um, because it was just, uh, yeah. And I didn't want to put it down. It's great. It's a very, yeah. very interesting book. Um, it's a really good book. Yeah. Highly recommend and it was also the first one I did on on my list. Um, like, I'd seen E.T. as a kid, and I'd seen the first season of Stranger Things already. But that was it. And when I was like, I'm going to sit down and do a review of the kids on bikes genre, Summer of Night was the first thing I picked up. Um, actually, it might have inspired me to do that, even. Okay, so we've been talking for a while. We have. <laughs> we hit on most of the things on my list did you want to talk about the rpgs at all i'm not so i have a couple of the kids on bikes rpgs um i haven't actually had a chance to play any of them um i think the idea in and of itself is really interesting i think that we are gonna start seeing a lot more of those especially with stranger things right um but i can't really speak to them very much because i haven't actually had a chance to to try them out or even read them yet yeah so. i have the, the the kids on bikes rpg rule book mm-hmm. um and were you not on the the tales from the loop segment that ben did for infinity break not that i recall okay this was a really long time ago i only saw a little bit of it yeah this um, was the you're talking about the first 24 hour stream no no this was definitely um a pandemic stream. Okay. I think I know which one you're talking about, but I don't think I was part of that one. I don't remember it too well. Somebody had a pet raccoon. Yeah, that was not me then. Okay. Well, I read the coffee table books that Tales from the Loop is based on, which is about growing up uh, near a particle reactor and all the weird shit that happens around there. So that was fun. There's some really cool, like, illustrations that Hell go yeah, with it. Dope. Yeah, um, I used to flip through the character creation stuff in the in the guidebook. It was pretty fun. Yeah. Well, as that work, to be clear. It's really cool. <laughs> Not doing much Really off, cool. But flipping through. I think that kind of covers it for me. Uh, everybody go cool. listen to Boys of Summer by the Ataris or mm-hmm. by Don Lee. Mm-hmm. No, it's about baseball. But in my heart, it's not. In your heart, it's about the book. In my heart, it's... I mean, that book is really terrible. Mm-hmm. Boys of Summer, the book by Richard Cox. I mm-hmm. didn't like it. 
Oh, okay. It was a bad ripoff of the kids on bikes genre, and it was ah. trying too hard, trying Bummer. too hard to get. And it was ambiguous. It had an ambiguous ending in a bad way. Rough. Meddling kids, on the other hand, was good. Fun. Mm. It was very Scooby Doo. It was. It was fun. It was. It very much had the Scooby Doo ness to it. Mm-hmm. But I think that covers it for me. Okay, I didn't really have a whole lot to add either. Helena, any last thoughts? No, I don't know. I don't think so. I'm just kind of mulling over Summer of Night right now, just thinking about it. <laughs> that is gone to the top of my list for sure. Yeah. I haven't I'm read re- it yet, obviously. Um, think about it. Yeah, yeah. I do feel like a lot of this episode was us talking about things in very deep detail. Yeah. That happens. That happens. Um, just because we have so much familiarity with it. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to like it or I don't know, some of those other movies that we watched. Yeah. It chapter two is a bad movie. That's my final my final <laughs> thought. It's a bad film that my crush, Bill Hader, is in. I think he is good in it. Well, he's fine in it. Um He's doing his best. He's anyway. doing his best. Jessica Chastain is badly cast the like the guy who plays mike doesn't have a personality um the guy who plays mike in the miniseries is so much better james mcavoy is hot in it but like why what what for what reason he's in it um you know um sorry helena i need to stop you and remind you that the guy who plays mike yeah is in fact isaiah off of the old spice guy i know and That's he's right. not good in it and it sucks because you want Bummer. the old spice good to be guy i couldn't let you just slide past that with like not naming him because that's fair that's, that's a fair. wacky piece of casting it's pretty insane um and like no comment on how he is as an actor in general like he's a bit he's a bit yeah. too hot to yeah. be mike who's kind of like a bit of an like i think the guy who plays mike in the miniseries is pretty cute but like mike's very nerdy you know he's not like <laughs> He's cute in like a normal person. A normal person, way, not way. like a model. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. He just and they just don't. I don't really like really... him. Yeah, he's really good in the miniseries, and they. <laughs> a lot of his character stuff is kind of boiled down to in a chapter two, like I'm the guy who stayed and did research, but they don't talk yeah. about like what that research is and how that affects him and any of that thinking about his family, like how that, like his whole character is just like not there in the movie, which is like, cool, fine. Okay. Whatever. Upsetting. Um, upsetting. Yeah. And I don't know, man, gay rights, Richie and Eddie forever, I suppose. Ugh, God. I suppose. <laughs> I suppose. No, if I must. I do love them conceptually it's just my god it's it, it's hip dynamic i'll give you that yeah it is <laughs> it truly is i just think um i was magically forced to forget you for 27 years and now that we meet each other again it's like we never left look <laughs> i just think it's nice i just i have a lot of feelings about it okay mm-hmm. and i try i try really hard not to i do um, but here yeah. I am, and that's my, it's taking up two minutes now of me talking about it on my podcast. Ugh. <laughs> I hate them. So, anyway. <laughs> For an episode about kids on bikes, we didn't actually end up talking about 
the kids on the bikes that much. No. I mean, that's arguably, it's kind of all we did. We just got really more in depth about the genre than doing more of a bigger overview, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. I had a good time. Yeah. My final thoughts are, I think it's a cool genre. I think it's really interesting coming at it from the perspective of somebody who didn't really have a childhood like that, too. Um, Yeah. I was watching Super 8, as as noted, a middling movie, and I was thinking, like, man, I wish I had gotten to have the kind of childhood where I got to ride around with my friends and make a movie, you know? Yeah. Like, we obviously did dick it around with a camera in the yeah. backyard, but we it didn't, was a little different. We didn't different. film any um, aliens. And there is a nostalgia factor, not for the 80s, but for the, like, I wish I had been able to have that kind of freedom, but that's something that was out of our grasp by the time we were born for, I don't know why, uh... Who can imagine what may have been happening (laughs) at that time uh, that would have caused that? But anywho, um, if you don't mind me taking another slight tangent on that, sure. Um, I was watching a an interview, I guess, um, with some comic artists last week, and there was an interesting bit that somebody brought up about how comics and music go together for a lot of people. And they pointed out that when you're a kid and you don't have a lot of resources, those are kind of the things that you can do easily. You can make music, you can write comics. You know, those don't require a ton of stuff. And that, like, not a lot of kids had video cameras or whatever to make a movie. Um, Yeah. And that was one of those things where I was just like, oh yeah, these people all grew up during the 80s and 90s and you know, the reason that they became successful doing or that they got into comics and music and then eventually became successful in it um, is because those were the things that they had the resources to practice as young people and just thinking about like how we were situated in the digital era you know, I didn't have a smartphone as a teen, but I had a digital camera. Yeah. Um, and that it was just this sort of weird transitional phase where a lot of people our age ended up doing their exploring online instead of in their neighborhood. Yeah. Or in an art piece or music, and it got channeled in a different way. And Yeah. We became, you know, like, ex- the YouTube generation. Um, yeah, which interesting too but like different different really different absolutely uh and kids now have tiktok so they're they're also like they're like the next of evolution of the youtube generation yeah exactly it's like a whole different short form as opposed to long everything short form everything's i don't want to say everything is derivative but a lot of it in conversation with each other yeah totally it's it's just a really different environment to come of age in. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I think Kids on Bikes as a genre is so nostalgic. Yeah. Because it really makes you nostalgic for an experience you never had. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Which is interesting to think about. Like, what is that even... There, there has to be another word for that kind of experience. But, like, I don't know. Something to revisit yeah. another time, maybe. Something to keep having conversations about and like watching other stuff about Um, definitely like a philosophical thought to keep you busy while you're stoned yeah exactly (laughs) yeah exactly um 
And uh, I think on that note, I'm going to take us out of here. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> uh, thank you for hanging out with us here on Steep Love the Movies from the Infinity Break Network. Check out infinitybreak.net for more awesome content and come hit us up on Twitter at people underscore snake or shoot us an email at steepblotthemovies at gmail.com. Our amazing music was done by Johnny Ronaldo. You can find at Johnny Ronaldo on Twitter. Our super snazzy logo was designed by Bethany Luthold. You can check her out at bethanyluthold.wixsite.com. If you got a subject you want to hear us talk about, movie you think we absolutely need to see, or want to try and convince me to keep watching Stranger Things, come say hello. Also, if you can, please leave a review on iTunes and share the show with any friends who you think would enjoy it. Any way you can help spread the news is always appreciated, and I always like reading the review on iTunes. So selfishly, write a review so I can read it. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the movies.